This is Finding Center, a daily half-hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Consecrating Our Time. Joseph B. Worthlin, a member of the First Quorum of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when this address was given, will give his message entitled, A Word to You, Generation of Destiny. My beloved brethren and sisters, I feel highly honored to be here on this beautiful campus of the Brigham Young University that I love and esteem and respect for the wonderful ideals that this great university teaches and promotes in the world today. I pray that I may have that same spirit that my beloved friend and brother Milton Backman prayed for in his beautiful prayer. You've all heard, I suppose, about the Guinness Book of World Records. It tabulates all sorts of unique and amazing things, ranging from the ridiculous to the sublime, such as, what snake has the longest fangs? Who had the longest record without solid food? Who has the largest mushroom farm in the world? Who grew the lemon with the greatest circumference? What person demonstrates the largest chest measurement? Who set the record for eating the most bananas in 10 minutes? What is it human beings fear most? Who lost the most weight in the shortest time? And so on ad infinitum. Looking at the list so far, I must admit, there is not an evidence very much that is truly sublime. For more than solid achievement, too many people are captured by the uncontrollable passion for notoriety, publicity, and sheer power of any kind, however futile, foolhardy, or fatal. For utter futility and absurdity, consider this. A group of college students intent on getting in Guinness's record book, sponsored a widely publicized thumb-twiddling contest. One young man was proclaimed the champion of thumb-twiddlers in all the world. He had twiddled his thumbs without interruption for more than 20 hours. It is quite likely that the students had never heard of, or at least taken seriously, the advice of Benjamin Franklin, one of the wisest of Americans. Franklin warned, Do not squander time, for that is the stuff life is made of. Right in line with Franklin's stern pronouncement is a memorable legend. A sage of great wisdom was asked by an inquisitive young man, What is the greatest gift in the world? The greatest gift in the world? Why, that my son replied the sage without hesitation, would be to have all the time you need. But mark you, such a measure of time can be given to no one. Each of us must help himself to his portion and learn to use it wisely, else many blessings of this most precious gift will be denied him. For every human being, time is a resource, indeed a unique resource. 
It can neither be accumulated like money nor stockpiled like raw materials. We are forced and compelled to spend it at a fixed rate of 60 seconds every minute. It passes at this predetermined rate no matter what we do. We have no choice, no freedom, or free agency in this regard. Time, unlike water or practically anything else you can think of, can neither be turned off nor replaced. As can be done with water in a barrel, no spigot may be installed to regulate and control its flow, and no refilling device may be applied to replenish the quantity. And it is now and always irretrievable. The question is not one of managing the clock, but one of managing ourselves with respect to the clock. In essence, time is the most unrelenting and inelastic element in our entire existence. For as Peter Drucker, distinguished management consultant, has said, time is the scarcest resource, and unless it is managed, nothing else can be managed. It is then not how much we have, but rather what we do with what we have. The use of time implies an understanding of two basic concepts that most of us have been slow to grasp. Concept number one haunts us with the thought that time carries no guarantee that it will serve us. It is only made available. Concept number two alerts us to the reality that it remains for each one of us, alone and singly, to learn how to get the most out of the passing hours, days, weeks, months, and even eternity. In this context, the T in time stands for tenacity. To worthy ideals, pursuits such as twiddling our thumbs or spending endless hours watching a variety of miscellaneous and all too often degrading television or other equally certain killers of the spark of life itself, we can productively engage ourselves in meaningful pursuits. Here is the classic example on the subject of how we become what we are now and may ultimately become. Jesus taught that the light of the body is the eye. This, in plain words, means what we think, see, understand, conceive, and imagine as the instigator and forerunner of all of our actions. And Jesus added, If therefore thine eye, that is, understanding and imagination, be single, that is, tenaciously directed towards worthy goals and objectives, then says Jesus in these divine and lovely words, The whole body shall be full of light, or the highest degree of insight and understanding and willpower and motivation, which is the sure road to supreme effort, to accomplishment and achievement. Continuing, Jesus depicts the ultimate tragedy in these words, But if thine eye, understanding, and purpose be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in thee is darkness, how great is that darkness? Or, as another translator has expressed it, if your eye is pure, there will be sunshine in your soul. But if your eye is clouded with evil thoughts and desires, 
you're in deep spiritual darkness. And oh, how deep that darkness can be. Never in all philosophy has there been a clear, stronger condemnation of self-willed arrogance and blindness in discerning the meaning and purpose of life, or even defiance of God himself, than in the sublime passage that follows. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And in straight, unvarnished language, mammon means anything that weakens reason or establishes the power of the body and physical hungers and appetites over the spiritual. Jesus was not uncertain in any way about what he stood for. Every one of us should have etched on his mind and in his heart in this ir irreverent and materialistic world, these immortal words of the Master Teacher said he, Life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. A poor attitude, ignorance of the purpose of life on earth, a self-sufficient arrogance, and a spiritually chaotic, undisciplined life may be fickle, defeating, and tragic. And he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room, where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, ink, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. A modern translator has Jesus putting the same idea in these emphatic words. Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can erode away or may be stolen. Store them in heaven where they will never lose their value. If your wealth is in heaven, your heart will be there also. Yes, every man is a fool who gets rich on earth but not in heaven. Urging us to press on to higher and better things, our own President Spencer W. Kimball, in the concluding speech of, that, of the last conference, said, We have paused on some plateaus long enough. Let us resume our journey onward and upward. We have been diverted at times from fundamentals on which we must now focus in order to move forward as a person or as a people. And one of the fundamentals that President Kimball is presently emphasizing is the full utilization of our time. I recall an incident with him that highlights this fundamental. Several years ago, during a state conference, during an area conference in Amsterdam, early in the morning, I was about to get on an elevator, and to my surprise, there stood President Kimball. 
In his usual warm and friendly way, he said, Step in and join me. We rode only to the next floor together, but in that short time of about 30 seconds, he gave me enough challenges and assignments pertaining to our missionary labors in Europe fully to occupy my time for years to come. Since then, I have often wondered what the assignments and challenges might have been had we ridden another floor together. <laughs> my purpose thus far has been to make significant and urgent the phenomenon of the fleeting moments in our lives, the stuff of which both dreams and reality are made. Let's now listen to a word from Thoreau, American philosopher and immortalizer of Walden's Pond. If you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. Now put a foundation under them. This foundation might be described by words represented by the last three letters in the word time. These are integrity, morality, and example, qualities that are so lacking in nearly every strata of our national life that General Omar Bradley of World War, World War II fame brilliantly, brilliantly discussed the problem in these words. Humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by its moral adolescence. Our knowledge of science has clearly outstripped our capacity to control it. We have too many men of science, too few men of God. We have grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man is stumbling blindly though through spiritual darkness while toying with the precarious secrets of life and death. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace, more about killing than we know about living. And Henry J. Taylor, noted news analyst of an era long gone, said this, Essentially, the problem is one of integrity. In a home, in a business, in a nation, integrity is what upholds all. It is this weakening integrity that seems to me to be the greatest illness everywhere. The grand corruption of our age, in fact, is the inability of so many eminent human beings the world over to practice simple honesty and speak the simple truth. Arnold Toynbee, a great scholar, studied 26 civilizations. Of these, 16 are now dead. Nine of the remaining 10 are broken down and in decline. His research shows that history is filled with the record of nations that rose to power and then because the people lack spirituality, courage, and integrity. Jesus gave significance to a scathing word in the vocabulary describing human inconstancies. He called this instability hypocrisy and the offenders hypocrites. Seldom have human beings been so stigmatized, being so harshly indicted. Said Jesus to those who profess and declare one thing, 
and act in a compromising or opposite way, woe unto you, hypocrites. For ye are like whited sepulchers, which appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. In Roman times, sculptors sometimes sought to conceal breaks and cracks in a statue with melted beeswax. A purchaser thus deceived and believing that he was buying a flawless piece of marble would place such a statue proudly in his atrium. In a few weeks the beeswax would dry out, crumble away, and expose the ugly defects. This practice of beeswax trickery became so widespread that reputable sculptors guaranteed their works sine sera, which literally translated means without wax. Our word sincere comes from this rebellion against the use of wax to deceive and to cheat. Jesus cried out for followers who would spurn hypocrisy in both thought and deed. For disciples, signed Sirah, without wax, sincere, cultivating and possessing integrity and morality, whose daily conduct would glorify the flawless example and of whom he could say, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, and neither can a good example nor its force and power. Perhaps the poet summarizes more sublimely my feelings concerning that attitude and yearning which, if developed in each of us, will sustain us through example and integrity, morality in our own personal lives. Listen to the poet as he petitions our Heavenly Father for the essential help. These are his words. My heart, dear God, give me a pure heart that I may see thee, a humble heart that I may hear thee, a heart of love that I may serve thee, a heart of faith that I may abide in thee. The term generation gap is constantly used to describe the chasm that may exist between youth and an older generation. A little thought, however, will expose the hoax in such a posture. We so often get hooked on words, and the words become more important than the facts. In general semantics, this is called mistaking the map for the territory, and this is exactly what it is. In our religion and our wonderful Church, there is no generation gap. It is not age that divides us, but eternal, timeless principles that unite us. Believing in Jesus Christ and His gospel, our basic interests and aspirations at any age are the same as are the ideals and principles by which we live from day to day. These two were summarized by Jesus in a most dramatic manner during His earthly ministry. According to the account in Luke, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And what individual would not yearn to know or give nearly anything he possessed for the answer, especially if it came from the Lord himself? And here it is, said Jesus, 
If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Note the magical words. If thou wilt enter into life, enter into life indeed. Is not that the real quest of each of us? Seriously, is there any other? When asked what he meant by the statement, keep the commandments, Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And then follows the positive, the glorious admonitions. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What a magnificent program for life at its best. These commandments and all that they encompass constitute a glorious challenge and an unassailable fortress against evil. They involve the use of time in the best and highest sense and will certainly safeguard our integrity and morality and perpetuate the good example. There is no generation gap, only ideals, principles, aspirations, enthusiasm, and increasing perfection as we continue to enter into life together. Remembering these two great guidelines from the Book of Mormon, first, that wickedness never was happiness, and second, that man is that he might have joy. As we diligently strive to crown our lives with meaning, accomplishment, joy, and happiness, let us ponder this magnificent passage from a modern play by Samuel Beckett entitled Waiting for Godot. Two tramps are lingering along a country road, and in the darkness a cry suddenly rings out for help. Cautiously and at length, they discuss the risks and the dangers of responding and becoming involved. Then one of them says, Let us not waste time in idle discourse. Let us do something while we have the chance. To all mankind they were addressed, those cries for help still ringing in our ears. But at this place, at this moment, all mankind is us, whether we like it or not. Let us make the most of it before it is too late. In actual fact, those cries are for you. You are the vital, the critical link, the ones who are on the verge of making it all happen, of representing the loftiest gospel ideals to all the world, and in you they either live or die. You are at this moment the generation of destiny. For you it is not too late. It is just the beginning. Life for each of us is you. You are on the threshold. As Jesus said, you are entering into life, eternal life. The influence of the gospel will not only dispel a darkness from our own lives, but cast a radiance into the lives of those around us. No one is saved solely and simply for himself alone, just as no lamp is lighted merely for its own benefit. I bear humble testimony to you on this occasion that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, that this is the true Church that was restored through revelation to the Prophet Joseph Smith. I pray for each of us 
that we may be motivated to achieve the life-stretching, soul-stretching ideals of the gospel. I bear my sincere testimony that there is only one way in which this may be done. That way is to enter fully into life, as taught by our Savior, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and our own divinely inspired President Spencer W. Kimball. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Consecrating Our Time. Joseph B. Worthlin gave his message entitled, A Word to You, Generation of Destiny. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.